great to see you all this morning. I'm so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we are so thankful uh, that you're with us this morning. Welcome on this 25th day of June. Where is the summer gone? Middle of summer. It is crazy that it's already last Sunday in June. Uh, a couple of cool things happened this week that I am super thankful for. One of them is that, you might have heard this, but our air in the back half of the building was kind of suffering uh, from the storm, and it was like $14,000 of damage, and our insurance came through, sent us a full check for everything needed. Thank you, God. And uh, it is getting fully, yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. But um, it is getting uh, fully repaired. They say tomorrow it will be up and running again. So we are so thankful for that. So thank you all who are praying for that. Um, Also, um, Caleb, who we were praying for this past Wednesday night uh, with the Fontaine family, got a great report at the doctor this week. And so there's no traces of relapse or the cancer right now. And so we're so thankful right now. Yeah, for... For that answer to prayer and just ask that you continue to pray with them. We married an awesome couple yesterday in our church. I love it when romance blossoms in our church and godly people find other godly people. And that was really fun. And um, so we're thankful for that. And then this week, I don't know if you saw it, but our new social media welcome video went viral. And did y'all see it online? Yeah. Um, I can't say much about it because I'm in in it. Um, So I don't want to say whether it was good or bad, but hey, it went. That's what I'll say. It went. I think um, as of yesterday, Robbie was telling me we had like 4,500 views or something in our community already. Most of that's from Georgia. It's just my mom and my grandma and all their friends. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, they, like 15, 20 people shared it in South Georgia. And I'm just like, all right, y'all come on to church if you want to. But it's not exactly what we were aiming for. But anyway, they were really proud. But um, some of you may be here this morning that are new and you've, you've found us because of that. But we are thankful for that. I encourage you to use that to share. Uh, I think nowadays that is one of the best ways that you can invite folks is just to share that online. And our, our aim is to try to get like a hundred shares um, by the end of this week. So you could do that online as well. You could join my mom and grandma and their little club they started <laughs> and just share that joker. So anyway, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to get them open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And I don't need this anymore, Kath. So I will continue to use it. Exodus chapter 20, we are in our series, Rethink 10, and this is the third week of that series, and what we've been doing is going through the Ten Commandments, and my heart in this series has been to just showcase um, what God has given us as he gave us his law, and we've been talking about how the law has a good design in our life, even as followers of Jesus. We all know that it is not by works of the law that any man or woman will ever be saved. It is not by anything that we could do for God. The law does not save. Jesus Christ saves. Jesus and Jesus alone. By his love and grace for you, by what he has done for you and his living and his dying for the forgiveness of your sins and his taking on your death and then rising again from the grave three days later and triumphantly with all power, we just saying what a powerful name it is. Jesus and only Jesus can save. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our life. But the law does have an important role in our lives because we've talked about already, it does help us to see God and his beautiful and perfect design 
what life is meant to look like, how he originally created it to be. It helps us to see his character. As we look at the law, we see the purity, the holiness, the glory of God. It helps us to know him more. It helps us to see ourselves and to realize how broken and sinful and flawed we really are. It helps us to recognize how needy we are for a savior. And the law ultimately leads us to Jesus, helping us to behold and just to be amazed at the fact that Jesus came for us, that all of, excuse me, that sounded like I was going through puberty, that all of the righteous requirements of the law might be met in him and given to us freely by the grace of God. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus, right? So the law does have good purpose. And so what I've been wanting to do is just walk through the Ten Commandments together and look, just rethink what it is that we see there. Often we approach it and all we see is just rules and regulations, but I really believe that we can see in the Ten Commandments more of God's beautiful design for this world, more of God himself, more of our brokenness and need for a Savior, and more of what Jesus came to do in our hearts and lives. They are saying to me, hey, it works. So let's pray and uh, we're going to get started in today's lesson. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for how you come to us and you meet us and you desire us and you pursue us with your love. All of us here today, you created us for you. And Lord, our lives, even now at this very moment, we were made to know you, God. For our lives to be lived in relationship and intimacy with you. And God, I know about my own heart and every heart here, Lord, that we are broken. We have disobeyed your law and we are unworthy, undeserving of you, Father. But we come to worship you today because of the good news that you have given us and all who believe that it is not about what we have done, but about what you have done, God. It is about your love and your grace and your mercy to forgive our sin and to make us right with you and to make us new. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus, Lord. And we thank you for the hope and joy and life that he brings to us. We know it's all because of your grace. And we just pray today that you would speak to us from your living word that we would be more like you, that we could know you more, and that we would glorify you with our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord, your God. I am a jealous God 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. These are the Ten Commandments. Most of y'all are familiar with these. And um, today we're going to be looking at the second commandment, which is found there in verses 4 through 7. And I hope, well, we're actually going to be looking today at the second and third. And I do want to give a shout out. Every, every pastor reads and is helped by other theologians and every other pastors. And I am so thankful. There's a guy in North Carolina. His name is J.D. Greer. Anybody ever heard of J.D. Greer? You may have or may not have. But um, I'm so thankful by, for some of his writing and work that he did in the Ten Commandments has helped me greatly uh, and just refreshed my soul even as I prepared for this. And I failed to mention that a few weeks ago when we started the series, but I do want to give a shout out and just thanks to him. But today we're going to be looking at the second and third. And let's just go back to it real quick because I want you to hear it. We read this last week, but we didn't focus on it in the way that I want to focus on it this morning in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, earth beneath, water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. Now, what do y'all think when you hear the second commandment? Don't make for yourself a carved image. Most of us think, right? I told y'all one way to remember it is to do your, put up two fingers and do your hands like scissors and cut out an idol, right? It's how we learn the second commandment. What do y'all think, though? What does it look like? What is God saying to us? A lot of us, if we're honest, think, oh, okay, shouldn't, shouldn't set up a statue in my house. We usually think about cultures other than our own where they literally have little carved idols. Some of you have traveled around the world. I know I have. I've been in temples where they have carved images. They have carved um, statues. They have made figurines, and they put them up in their house or in their places of worship. And literally, there are people worldwide that bow down and worshiped these carved images as if they are God or they're worshiping some representation of what they think is God. And most of us, I think if we're honest and we hear the second commandment, we're like, whoo, good thing I don't do that. That was craziness, right? And we kind of just overlook it and we're like, we're good. You know, I don't have a little statue in my house. Maybe you do and I, I, I'm not trying to make fun of you if this is your background, but for most of us, I don't think you've got a little figurine or a statue in your house that you're giving food to or that you're worshiping, um, that you're calling God and pledging allegiance to, that you're holding in reverence. I don't think that is what most of us here do. And so we just kind of skip over and say, whew, thank the Lord, there's one of these commandments that I'm good with. <laughs> you know, don't, don't make for yourself a card's image. I haven't done that. Um, but I would tell you that at the heart of this commandment is something much more than just making something out of wood or out of bronze. We all know the scene here. If you're not familiar with the scene here in Exodus, I encourage you to study the word of God and just to look at the context. Uh, I don't quite have time for that this morning, but we know that the people of Israel, God's people did in fact make a golden cow there. As Moses was up on the mountain, they're carving with their own hands something that they thought was an image that they could revere, that they could respect, that would be in the likeness of God in some way. And we know that that, that has happened among the people of God. But I think nearer to the heart of this law is not just that we should not carve out something in physical form, but rather we should be very careful not to make out God to be anything other than he truly is. Here's what I would say, and you, if you're writing this morning, you can write a couple of things down. Um, the heart of this commandment, of course, don't remake God in your own image. Don't remake God in your own image. Now, if you're writing, you can write this down. Let me, let me give it to you. You might be waiting on me. The reality is we often struggle to define God as we want him to be, don't we? We often want to define God as we want him to be. But the reality is we don't get to define God as we want him to be. Rather, the pursuit of our life must be to know 
and to love God as he reveals himself to be. Y'all track that with me? We must love God for he, who he reveals himself to be. So in other words, we break this commandment every time that we think or worship or act as if God is who we want him to be rather than who he reveals himself to be. And at this point, at the, at the root of this commandment, God is showing us part of how he's designed for our life to be and he's helping us to, to realize that he is who he is. We gotta let him be who he is. He's showing us part of his true nature. He's showing us the tendency of our heart to form an image of God, a reality about God according to what we want rather than who he is and our deep need for Jesus to come and restore us in the right relationship with the true and living God. A.W. Tozer says, y'all ever read The Pursuit of God or Knowledge of the Holy? Oh, A.W. Tozer, if you haven't read him, Go do it. I sound so geeky. It's like dense. It's like really dense reading. It's so good. Just go get an A.W. Tozer book. Spend the next year reading a sentence at a time. It's just so good. Um, First line, knowledge of the holy. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who we know God to be defines everything. everything. Who we are and how we will live, how we will relate and worship to him. And we must make it our highest pursuit to know who he is. Not who we think he is, but who he really is. That should be our joy and our passion, our pursuit as followers of him. God, I want to know you. I want to know you. Y'all probably heard, folks, you might even say this yourself. Don't, I, I'm not going to step on any, I want, no way. I am going to step on your toes. I'm not going to ask that you acknowledge you, you've done this. Y'all sat in a small group, or you maybe you've been in a discussion with a family member or a friend, and you've heard people say, well, well I think, I, I just think that God is like blah, blah, blah. Right? Or I just feel that God would not blah, blah, blah. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You don't have to acknowledge if you do. (laughs) Um, And a lot of times, I don't want to sit in the seat of judgment, but I do fear that a lot of times, when I have felt this way or where I have said things like this, where that comes from is not actually knowing that this is who God is, but rather it is wanting him to be that way. Because it's convenient, it fits what I want. And I just got to tell you, what you feel like God is or what you think like God is, is irrelevant. What matters is just who is God. And that's got to be the pursuit of our life. We don't 
get to conform God to our reality. We've got to conform our reality to God. And there's, there's a big, big, big difference. Um, has anybody ever been in a relationship, a friendship, a dating relationship, a marriage? Has anybody ever been in a relationship? Okay, good. This is <laughs> good. If you haven't, I would like to introduce you to someone today. <laughs> I'm good at this. I'm, I've got six marriages this year. You know, it's, it's a good thing. Um, I'm just fine. <laughs> I'm not Dr. Love. That's the last thing that I want to be. Um, in our relationships, y'all ever, do, do other people drive you crazy sometimes? Y'all are pointing at each other. Why are you, that's just wrong. And John and John, they're both named John. John and John are pointing at each other, so. Uh, people drive us crazy sometimes, don't they? You ever get a relationship and marriage? It doesn't happen in our marriage, but I've heard in other marriages <laughs> that husbands and wives can really get on each other's nerves. <laughs> you can get irritated at other people because they don't, they're not conforming to the idea that you have for them, right? They're not who you want them to be. And that drives you nuts. You know, in dating, I encourage long seasons of dating and long seasons of engagement. And I take very serious premarital counseling because I know something happens. People get smitten by romance. You know, they get hit by Cupid's arrow. And they move toward marriage with this idea that all the things they don't know about the person, those things are going to work out in their favor according to how they imagine that person is going to be perfect after marriage. But then they get on the other side of marriage and that person is not perfect and not at all what they thought they were going to be and thus begins the conflict and the tension, right? What do you mean you don't love laundry? I thought you were going to do all of our laundry for my whole life. I've heard other husbands that have thought that about their wives when they got married. I didn't think that. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, you get confronted with, what, do you, what are you talking about? And it drives us nuts because the other person is not, we want them to be. And a lot of times we spend so much of our energy manipulating and forcing and controlling, trying to get the other person to be who we want them to be rather just than allowing and accepting them to be who they are, right? And honestly, um, I think you, you get this in your relationships. Where does this come from? I'm about to step on some toes, mainly mine. Two things I think, two places I think it comes from. You can write them down if you want to, but if not, you can just let them hit your heart. Number one, I think it comes from control. Anybody have, anybody have control freak tendencies? <clears throat> I've heard of some people like that. Wanting to control, always. Wanting to maintain a firm grip on everything, including the personality and the behavior and the actions, the decisions, the heart of other people. Control, control, control. Second thing, I think it comes from a deep-rooted 
self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Wanting everything to work out in my favor. What I need, what I want, what I desire, uh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fix me. You gotta be there for me. You gotta give this to me. You gotta, you, and, and we're trying to constantly make other people the right characters in the grand drama of our story. Control, self-centeredness. Now, you, you gotta evaluate you. I just evaluate me. But I see that. This relationship is all about me. Now, if we get it in human relationship, I believe this is the goodness and kindness of God. It, it, feels, it feels hard because it, is, it's, it comes across in law. But the result, if, if we allow the law to be used in our heart properly, it leads us to grace, to Jesus. But What God is speaking in the second commandment is you don't do that with me. You got a tendency to be controlling and self-centered in your relationship with me and you don't do that with me. Do not, do not operate a relationship with me thinking that you get to define who I am. You've got to know me for who I am. Apart from who you think I am, I want you to live knowing who I am. Don't go making something that I'm not. See? Um... We struggle with this, you know. I don't believe God would uh, require everybody to believe on Jesus. I mean, there are just so many people who don't know him. Certainly don't believe God would punish anyone in hell. I believe God would be, you know. I don't think God would care about this particular lifestyle or sin. You know, I just don't, I don't see that God could ever be gracious to this kind of person in light of what they've done, who they are. I don't think we need to tolerate this kind of stuff in our society and show compassion. There are lots run out, you know. And on and on it goes. But amazingly, I've really believed that a lot of these assumptions and statements that we make about God are not founded on what God actually reveals about himself, but rather founded on the thoughts and the opinions that we have, the lifestyle, the ideas that we've already formed. And so we just assume and argue that God, of course, agrees with us. And the danger is we end up with a God that looks a lot more like we look than God actually looks. All of us have these lists. I don't know what your list is. I mean, what would be your list? If you had to, maybe this is a homework for you this week. If you had to make a little list, what would that list be? What is your list of, I think God is like this. I just can't believe God, you know, all of us have that little list. 
thoughts that are more about your opinions or perceptions of God than rather truly knowing him and understanding him as he is. When you get in those kind of places where you're giving those kind of opinions or somebody else is giving those kinds of opinions, you've got to ask yourself, why do you believe that about God? And if somebody can't reasonably go to the word of God and show you this is who God has revealed himself to be, this is plain about who God really is, then guess what? You're often relying more on your perception and opinion about God, your desire for who God you want him to be rather than who God actually is. We've got to be careful. Saying, know me for who I am. And I believe the same is true in our relationship with God. I believe that control and self-centeredness applies as much to our relationship with God as it does to our relationship with other people. We need him to be a certain way, and so we manipulate him to be that way. (laughs) And it's usually related to things that we fear, or it's usually related to things that we love. It's usually related to our idols, is it not? You know? I love my family so much that I just believe that God is never, ever, ever going to allow anything bad to happen to my children. He's a God that promises that if I'm faithful to him, nothing ever, ever, ever bad will happen to my children. You're fearing something you can't control, and so you've made this assumption, this belief about God, you've formed God into the image of something because of a fear that's going on in your heart. You know, I love this particular lifestyle so much, I can't believe that, you know, God has got grace and compassion. He's not going to call me out for that. That's not going to stand in the way between me and him. That's not a big deal. Well, could it be that you just love that lifestyle so much that you formed your opinion about the grace and compassion of God on that, your particular sin and your particular lifestyle. You, you've done that because you love it so much that you can't let go of it. So you've made God into an image of the one you want him to be that allows you to continue to, quote unquote, know him while maintaining all the lifestyle that you love, you see? We need, want so badly to be sure that we're going to be perfectly healthy and have lots of money. So we conjure ideas of God that guarantee that completely. For all who who love Jesus. And the hard part of this is that Doing this distorts our ability to know and to love the real God. It's like Jeremiah chapter 2 talks about. He said, you know, the problem with all of us is that we've, we've turned to broken cisterns. <laughs> we've turned to cisterns that are they're broken, that are leaky at the bottom. And as much as you've put into them, they're always going to drain out. And they're never going to satisfy Because we've made God in the image of our screwed up hearts, we end up missing the opportunity to know the true and living God, who is the fountain of all life, who is the one you were created to know and to love and to adore, who is the only one who can satisfy the depth of your heart with joy that will never, ever end. 
and turning aside to our conjured, distorted, made-up images of God, we miss the opportunity to know and to enjoy the true and living God. And what a crazy, crazy forfeiture that is to turn our back on a waterfall and instead try to dig and find water as we can and put it into a little cistern over here that's broken and leaky at the bottom that will never satisfy. How stupid is that? What a crazy forfeiture. And we will never, I'm telling you, you will never get to know him if you don't know him in full. If you're only willing to know him in part, but not know him in full, you're missing out. You're really, really missing out. The other thing that happens is we end up, our distortions of God always produce unhealthy behavior in our lives. Did you know that? Our distortions of God always produce unhealthy patterns of behavior in our lives. I'm looking at Psalm 115, verse 8. It's talking about those who make idols. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but don't speak, eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, noses but don't smell. They have hands but don't feel, feet but don't walk, and they make not a sound in their throat. Verse 8 says this, something profound. He says, those who make them become like them. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. A.W. Tozer says this, We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. See, it's just reaffirming exactly what the psalmist says in 115. Those who make them become like them. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Because healthy spiritual growth depends on us seeing God for who he really is and moving toward him and allowing him to be full in us and becoming more like him as his presence indwells us more and more. We become more and more like him. That is where healthy pattern of living comes from, is knowing the fullness of God. So if you're worshiping that which is not truly God, you are going to become unhealthy in your life because your life will reflect something that God is not. If your God is gracious but not holy, you're going to tolerate sin. Plain and simple. We got a world today that loves the grace of God. We don't talk at all about the holiness of God, but let me tell you, friends, our God is gracious and our God is holy. But if your God is only gracious and not holy, you're worshiping a God that is not a full picture of God. You do have something right about God. He is gracious, but you need to press on to know the fullness of God, for he is also holy. But if he is gracious and not holy, you'll find yourself tolerating sin. If your God commands obedience, but is not beautiful and satisfying, you will begrudge obedience to the law. 
Let me say it again. If you only know that God is a sovereign God to whom your life is due and you are commanded to worship and to love and to follow him, if that's only what you know of God, but you don't see that God is beautiful and satisfying, our ever-present hope and joy, then when you're asked to follow the law, you'll do so with bitterness, frustration, and burden. But that is because that unhealthy pattern of living is because you don't have a full view of God. Yes, God commands you to worship him, but don't you know that in worshiping him, you will find your greatest good and joy. You see, that's the full picture of God. If you don't realize that God is caring and fully sovereign. You freak out all the time, stressing out because you're trying to control everything. God cares about you and he is in total control. If you only focus on his care, but you don't rest in his control, you're going to still try to take control on yourself, you see? If you know that God is Sovereign and holy, but you don't realize that he's compassionate and merciful, you're going to end up angry and judgmental toward sinners. I could go on and on. Should I go on? Am I stepping on enough toes yet? (laughs) I could go on and on. See, what I'm desiring to expose is what I believe is near to the heart of God and issuing this commandment. Know me for who I am, is what the Lord is saying. If you don't, you're going to miss out, and it's going to lead to unhealthy behavior in your life. J.D., I thought was, oh, I had to spend some time with this, but super helpful. He said, if you find a place of stress and sin and dissatisfaction in your life, it will often point you to places where you have a wrong view of God. Let me say that again. If you find the places of stress and sin and dissatisfaction in your life, it will often point you to the very places where you have a wrong view of God. For instance, you're struggling in sin, you often will have a wrong view of God. You may not see his holiness. Struggling in insecurity, maybe you don't see his acceptance. Struggling in judgmentalism, maybe you don't see his grace. Struggling in materialism, Maybe you don't see his beauty and surpassing fulfillment. Struggling in fear, maybe you don't see his sovereignty. You go on and on. But the reality is unhealthy behavior often grows out of our distortions of God. So, what do we need to do? Ready for it? Super simple. You sure you're ready? Here it is. Let God be God. Why is it so hard for us? Oh, it is. Oh, it's so hard. It was so, Moses hadn't been gone a couple of hours and they're making a freaking cow at the bottom of the mountain going, okay, maybe this is God. Worship this thing. I'm like, I mean, don't you look at them and go, idiots. You're freaking idiots. You just got delivered out of Egypt of the true and living God, Yahweh. And you're freaking, freaking out, making a cow. 
Why was it a cow? I mean, there's so many questions I have for them. I have so many questions. I'm just like, yeah, they deserve to be burned up. But don't I too. I freak out and call them stupid, but then I think, gosh, aren't I guilty of the same thing? You know, I haven't made a golden calf. It's not in my house. We don't bow down and worship it, but aren't there so many ideas about God, conceptions about God, things about God that shape my life that really may not be who God is, who he really is, but rather who I've made him to be. Let God be God. And secondly, seek to know him as he is. <laughs> seek to know him as he is. This is why Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's another guy who I love, he says this, our supreme need is to know God. Our supreme need is to know God. It's like Jesus in the garden just before he went to the cross. John chapter 17, verse 3. Oh, Father, that they might know you, that they might know you. And Jesus, me who you sent. God, it is my prayer. Hear Jesus' prayer. This is the whole reason that he came is to restore in our hearts and lives a right view and a right relationship with the true and living God. Oh God, that they might know you. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm moving toward the cross. This is the work of redemption I want to do in their life. I want them to know you. And the true and living God is Jesus, is he not? That's why Colossians 1.15 and Hebrews chapter 1.3 are given to us. He is the exact imprint. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. You want to know God, friends, then press in to know Jesus. He is God. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Oh, I want to know him. I want to know him, and I want to know him more. I want to press on toward this goal. This one thing that I want is to know more of Jesus Christ. I want to know him, and I want to be like him, and I want to share in his fellowship and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know Jesus. And friends, I got to, this, this is the way I feel. I, don't, I can't speak for you. But the way I feel, if Paul didn't feel like he knew Jesus, Yet, fully, if he felt like there was more that he could know of Jesus, then I certainly feel that I haven't arrived yet. I don't know the Lord in his fullness yet, but oh, I want to. Don't you? We miss out so much when we don't follow the basic commandment. Don't worship me for who you want me to be. Worship me for who I am. Hear the Lord's heart. Hear the Lord's invitation. Realize the broken and sinfulness of your life and call out to Jesus that you would know him for who he really is. Amen? That's my heart today. The third commandment I'm not going to teach on. And you're going to go, thank you, Lord. Because you just thought, he's about to rev up in another one. But it is 
exactly related to the second. Because if you know God for who he is, you will not use the name of God for who he's not. See what I'm saying? If you know God for who he is, you will not use the name of God for who he's not. For the name represents all of his character and his ways. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of God is precious to us for it is the perfect reflection of who he is. And his name certainly does not belong on anything that he is not. It starts with our hearts. Are we willing to lay down our presuppositions, to lay down our desires, to lay down what we think, what we want, what we feel that we need, and just to approach God and let him be who he is. That's when real joy begins. Jesus praying for you. I pray they might know you, God. And if we know him, We're not going to misrepresent him. We're not going to misrepresent him. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you speak to us clearly. And Lord, you've shown us today how you've designed our hearts and our lives to be. We are made to know and to worship you, the true and living God. Lord, there is no one like you. There is no one above you. You are it. You are the only one and you are the best. And so we come to you today just with a heart of worship and praise, Lord. And we just, our prayer is that we, we just want to know you, God. We want to know you for who you really are. This is, this is why you made us. This is the way our hearts are shaped. We're made to know you. Father, we plead for your forgiveness. We confess our sin. We confess, Father, that we have so many tendencies to think something about you or to make you into something that you're not just because of our need for control or our selfish desires or our sinful tendencies, Lord. We are so often making you into something that you're just not. And we ask your forgiveness. Father, we ask that we could approach you with a desire to give you the freedom, God. Right now, we give you the freedom. We just tell you, God, you have the freedom to be who you are. In our relationship with you, we don't get to define the terms. We don't get to tell you who you are. You are who you are, and you have the freedom to just be who you are in our hearts and lives. That is our, that's our prayer today. God, we want to know you more. Jesus, we're so needy for you. We're so thankful for you. We know, Jesus, that you came to forgive us of all of our sins, to wash us of all of our impurity by your blood. We are healed. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We also know that, Jesus, you have the power to restore us to know the true and living God. You are the true and living God. And so, God, we just pray today, Jesus, that you would work in our hearts to restore us to true worship. Father, we want to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Stand, church, and let's respond to the Lord. I'm here if you want to pray with me. There are prayer counselors who right now are moving to the back. You can pray with them about anything that's going on in your life. If you want to make a decision for Christ, join our church or just need special prayer, you come talk to one of us today. Respond if God leads. And just cry out to him, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you more.